battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today on the program, we talk to Alabama State House candidate Marilyn Lance about her bid for office. We are also going to be breaking down Alabama's system system of taxation and how it benefits the wealthy and hurts the poor. We're obviously going to be taking a look at what workers and bosses were up to last week in the South. All that and more on today's program. I also want to send a special hello and welcome to our newest listeners in Whitesburg, Kentucky. That's right. This week, our show will debut on WMMT 88.7 FM in Whitesburg, Kentucky. So four radio stations in three states. Uh, We are, I think, what, can we now be called a nationally syndicated radio program? We're getting there if we're not. Um, so anyway, if you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number. We're going to open those phone lines up. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave us a voicemail throughout the week, and we might uh, play it on the next show. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, you can find us anywhere you find anything online, in particular on our website. You can subscribe to our newsletters, tvlr.fm. Our newsletters that come out every single week are Last Week in Southern Labor, where we take a look at what working folks in the South were up to in the last week and boss watch where we take a look at what bosses were up to in the last week and here's a spoiler warning we think that the former is good workers and the latter is bad the bosses so uh just a reminder your support helps us stay on the air our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners tvlr.fm slash donate is where you can make a one-time or recurring contribution you can also buy our merch at tvlr.fm slash store we have an excellent t-shirt and you can become a patron at uh patreon.com slash the valley labor report if you are uh more familiar with that ecosystem if you're a member of a union then please think about getting your local to sponsor the show. Uh, You can reach out to us for more details on that. We absolutely could not do this program uh, without the support of organized labor uh, paying for us to be on the radio in 
uh, on four stations in three states, paying for the labor that it requires to make the show. Um, Adam and I are volunteers, but everybody else on the program we pay, and we pay now at a new minimum wage of $21 an hour. We raised that uh, in the new year. Um, so we're really proud of, of uh, you know, trying to do everything that we can uh, to make the you know, the part-time work that everybody is is putting in uh, valuable and uh, worth their time, uh, you know, while still recognizing, of course, that this is, uh, you know, we're operating on a shoestring budget. and um, But, you know, we do what we can and uh, really, pa- uh, really proud of, um, you know, the record that we have so far. Uh, and like I said, would not be possible without both our monthly individual donors and especially the support of the labor movement. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're interested in running advertising on our program, please let us know. Uh, We'd be happy to work with you. But let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, now WMMT, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. As most of you know, we are not media professionals, just a couple of diehard union brothers who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. So we're hoping this project can make a difference on that front, and we could not do it without you. We want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're a loyal fan or first-time listener. We really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for everybody tuning in right now. We have, uh, we've already got almost 20 people watching, but only nine people have liked the stream. Let's get those numbers up uh, before the next break. Um, and on YouTube and Facebook is where we stream every single week. We are live on Saturdays uh, for the folks who are listening to us on WMMT. So if you want to interact with us live, you can find us Saturday mornings, 9.30 a.m. Uh, Central Time, Facebook and YouTube at The Valley Labor Report. Let's jump into our first segment this week. Uh, last week in Southern Labor, we take a look at what boss, uh, what workers in the U.S. South and the American colonies were up to. Uh, here's what they were up to from February 9th to the 16th. In new campaigns, two workers at Consolidated Nuclear Security in Amarillo, Texas, filed a petition to hold a union election with the Metal Trades Council of Amarillo, Local 306. They are affiliated with OPEIU and IAM. Workers, likely pushed by their employer, filed a petition to decertify the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW, as the union representing six workers at EverOn, a security company in Knoxville, Tennessee. 52 workers at SP Plus Corporation in St. Rose, Louisiana, filed a petition to hold a union election with the Amalgamated Transit Union, ATU, Local 1535. The employer filed a petition to hold a union election after a majority of the 16 workers at Starbucks in Miami, Florida, demonstrated support for unionization with Starbucks Workers United. 130 workers at TransDev Services in Arlington, Virginia, filed a petition to hold a union election with ATU Local 689. Three workers at Valero Refining Company in Memphis, Tennessee, filed a petition to hold a union election with the United Steelworkers, USW. 
80 workers at Cargill in Reserve, Louisiana, filed a petition to hold a union election with the Teamsters, Local 270. 95 workers at Tensar Corporation, an infrastructure company in Morrow, Georgia, filed a petition to hold a union election with the Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. R-W-D-S-U. In election results, three petitions were withdrawn last week. One was a raid on the National Association of Special Police and Security Officers bargaining bargaining unit at Allied Security in Washington, D.C. by the Protective Services Service Officers United. A petition to hold a union election with the IBEW Local 2 among the nine workers at Como Electric Cooperative in Tipton, Missouri. And a petition to hold a union election with the International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees, IATSE, among the 12 workers at Hairspray on Tour in Fort Myers, Florida. In a pretty quick turnaround, seven workers at Wells Fargo in Virginia Beach, Virginia, who filed a petition to hold a union election on January the 16th, voted on February the 8th unanimously in favor of unionization with Wells Fargo Workers United, a CWA affiliate, with the results being certified on February the 16th. Uh, So only a month between filing and election result certification, that's a timeline you did not used to see, uh, but is the result of General Counsel Abruzzo's changes to board policy with respect to elections. So uh, very good news, and we're seeing more and more short election timelines like that, making it easier for workers to organize. 16 workers at Starbucks in New Orleans, Louisiana, voted 12 to 4 in favor of unionization with Starbucks Workers United. 17 workers at HCI Integrated Solutions in Fort Bliss, Texas, voted 14 to 3 in favor of unionization with the International Union of Operating Engineers, IU. OE Local 351. We told you a while back that the petition to hold a union election at the Texas Tribune with the News Guild CWA was withdrawn. That is because the workers at the Texas Tribune announced last week they received voluntary recognition. So very excited to hear that. In strikes and bargaining updates, 420 members of Teamsters, Local 997, began a strike this morning at Molson Coors on Saturday, citing the company's refusal to present a fair offer. So far, making an offer of only less than a dollar an hour raise. Negotiations opened between the Communication Workers of America, CWA, and Altus USA, a telecommunications company, on a new contract. The current four-year contract covering workers from Beckley to Logan, West Virginia, is set to expire on April 25th. Alaska Air flight attendants voted to authorize a a strike in an absolutely wild uh, number. About 84% participated in the vote. No, 94%. Yeah, 94% participated in the vote with 99.48 voting in favor of a strike authorization. So that sends a very powerful message to Alaska Airlines. 
After unionizing with UFCW Local 400, farmers market workers in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland who work for Fresh Farm have a contract that includes a $20 an hour minimum wage, a premium for speaking a second language, and vacation time for seasonal employees for the first time ever. U.S. Senator for Alabama Tommy Tuberville derided the idea of college football unionization, saying that college sports is, quote, about learning experiences, not about making money, unquote. Meanwhile, after accepting $5 million in public money from Alabama to quit his former job as Auburn head coach, he still collects a pension from Auburn that is higher than the median salary in the state of Alabama. Ford CEO, vampire, lizard person, etc., Jim Farley, uh, had hinted last week at the threat of outsourcing work after the UAW strike, making it all the more important and impactful that the UAW also won, in addition to all of the economic benefits, the right to strike over investment decisions and plant closures. Speaking of strikes, UAW Local 862, representing 9,000 workers at Ford's Kentucky truck plant, issued a strike notice over failure to come to an agreement on the local agreement over uh, specifically health and safety provisions. In politics and legislation, AFL-CIO President Schuler and AFGE President Kelly are both attacking the proposed, quote, fiscal commission on Social Security for what it is, a scam meant to cut benefits for working people. The coalition of seven labor unions representing nine million workers, the UAW, SEIU, AFA, CWA, UE, IUPAT, APWU, the NEA, and NNU, formed the National Labor Network for Ceasefire to put action towards working people's demands for justice in Palestine. A coalition of unions and community groups in Durham, North Carolina, UE Local 150, the Duke Graduate Workers Union, the Union of Southern Service Workers, and more, are holding a forum and discussion on Palestine today uh, and what it has to do with our day-to-day fights on the job. An Alabama State Senate committee approved a bill to remove the requirement for schools to sign off on 14- and 15-year-olds having a job. It now moves to the full Senate. The Alabama Supreme Court made a decision on Friday determining that embryos at IVF clinics are persons under Alabama's Wrongful Death Act. A Florida Senate committee unanimously passed a bill that would allow 16- and 17-year-olds on construction sites that they had previously been barred from for safety concerns. And yes, that includes two Democrats. The bill now goes to the full Senate. Georgia's state Senate voted in favor of a bill that would bar companies that accept state incentives from voluntarily recognizing their workers' union. CWA members protested the proposed legislation. Amazon is now uh, following the lead of SpaceX and Trader Joe's in attempting to get the National Labor Relations Board declared unconstitutional. And finally, in internal union affairs, bad news keeps coming from the Teamsters, with the latest being that Brian Kelly, a lawyer at a high-priced law firm that engages in union busting for companies and who is currently representing Donald Trump, 
in a case to keep Trump off the ballot in Massachusetts, has reportedly been working for Sean O'Brien in some capacity for over a year. Mm. If we missed anything, let us know, tvlr.fm slash contact. We're going to go to a break, and we're going to be right back with uh, Alabama State House candidate Marilyn Lands about her campaign and politics in Alabama. Stay tuned. Benefit Architects has proudly supported union members and union-made products for over 35 years. If you are a federal employee and an AFGE member, you're eligible for hundreds of dollars in money-saving benefits, including group life insurance, dental insurance, and AFLAC insurance. Additionally, if you're a union member but don't work for the federal government, you can still qualify for several of these money-saving policies. So give Tate Cure a call at 256-215-6769 for details and to enroll. Again, that is Tate Cure at 256-215-6769. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. 
Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth, all wealth should go to labor, and you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. Thank you for tuning in. My co-host is Adam Keller. We've got now uh, going on 30 people watching us on YouTube, uh, but only 16 likes. Let's get those up. Like the stream if you haven't. Um, Subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to us as a podcast, make sure you give us a five-star rating. Those really help. Appreciate everybody tuning in on the YouTube chat. Infinite Content, K. Brandon, Tempest Lord Rayhan, Benjo, Dylan, Connor, uh, Colin, Kay. Uh, appreciate all of you tuning in and your participation in the chat. On Facebook, we have Joe and Mel, as always. Thank you very much. We have on the line now uh, Marilyn Lands. She is the Democratic nominee for Alabama State House District 10 in the special election coming up in March. She is a licensed professional counselor. Uh, which is uh, pretty cool because uh, my wife is also a counselor. So uh, we have that in common. Uh, Marilyn, thank you for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Oh, I am very happy to be here. Thank you so much. Um, So, uh, like I said, really glad to have you on. Um, People that I know uh, have spoken very highly of you. Uh, Mustafa from CWA Local 3905 um, really recommended folks uh, check out your website and, uh, you know, support your candidacy. And uh, hearing union leaders uh, say things like that means a lot to us, obviously, as a union radio program. Um, So let's start with the race. I want to give you some time uh, at the at the top to basically highlight what what your priorities are and 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 kind of give your spiel and then we'll we'll go into uh, some more specific stuff that I have in mind. But you know, I guess the first thing is that this race is one of the few. I mean, how many are there competitive races in the entire state of Alabama? Just talk to us about that. Well, this is it, really. Um, it's very exciting. Um, Last, well, I ran in 2022 and I came close to winning. I came very close. Uh, I was actually the closest to flipping a um, house seat in the entire state. 
And so I feel like we've got momentum on our side this time around. Um, probably folks know that we have the special on March 26th because the fellow who did beat me um, ended up resigning after he pled guilty to felony voter fraud charges. And so that's why District 10 has this special coming up and a real chance, I think, to change the trajectory of our state. The guy who beat you arrested for felony voter fraud, was he also a Democrat? No, no. He was the Republican. That's funny because I don't know. I always hear that Democrats are the ones doing voter fraud, but uh, so I don't know. Maybe I just misheard. <laughs> maybe, maybe everybody who says that is just actually wrong. <laughs> That's, I think it's fake news. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, and I don't know if you know what the next closest uh, state legislature race was in 2022. But I mean, I think it was something like 20 points. I mean, this is, I mean, real genuinely the, the state has been so gerrymandered that this is, this is probably the only actually competitive district in the entire state. And so that's a, that's a very exciting thing, I think, for voters in this district. What is, what are, what, what is the district house district 10? Where does that um, well, yeah, and I'll yeah. tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about that. But the other thing I'd like to say is that District 10 has had a history of electing moderate people because mm. Mike Ball, who held this seat for 20 years, uh, even though he was a Republican, he is uh, a very moderate person. He's really worked hard to cross the aisle. Um, he's a person with a lot of integrity that I really really respect. And in keeping in that vein, um, in his tradition, he has actually endorsed me in this race. That is that is a very interesting thing. And he, he's actually the 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 person responsible for or, or one of the, the biggest pushers for the medical marijuana uh, m legislation here in Alabama, right? Most definitely. That is Mike. Yeah, yeah but District 10, um, we're a really unique and diverse district because we include a bit of Madison, um, Huntsville, but we have southwest Huntsville and then south Huntsville to the river, but only west of the parkway. We have the city of Triana. We have um, Redstone Arsenal. And then we have some unincorporated um, parts of the county. So um, it's not as homogenous as most districts are. We also have all three school systems. Uh, so District 10 is a little complicated. And I feel like I have uh, a unique ability to represent us down there because I've lived here all my life. You know, I know all these places. Right, right. And so why should folks in this area vote for you? You know, what are your priorities? How are you going to seek to, to uh, accomplish them while uh, down in Montgomery? Well, I'll say two things to that. Um, one is that my campaign has really been a grassroots campaign from the very beginning. And over 90% of the money that my Republican opponent has raised has come from PACs and corporations. Whereas on the other hand, my race, over 90% of the money has come from individuals. Over 700 people have given to my campaign to date. And I'm really proud of that. Uh, we have a lot of support. And I think issue-wise, the biggest area of um, distinction between my opponent and I is the issue of abortion and reproductive health care. Mm. Uh, 
continue to say that pregnancy is a really complex medical situation and women need to make their own personal decisions that are best for them and their families. And um, I traveled to uh, visit with a young woman in North Alabama, Alyssa Gonzalez, last month to talk with her. She was one of the people that was profiled in the Diane Sawyer special on the brink. And Alyssa, her husband, found out um, that they were pregnant with their second son, uh, very much a wanted pregnancy, you know, very much a welcome addition to this family. And then tragically, a few months later, she found out that the child had a very rare genetic condition that, that meant the pregnancy was not viable. And because we had passed, you know, the trigger law and started this whole uh landslide of other states following and putting these women in precarious situations, Alyssa and her family uh, had to travel over 500 uh, miles to get the health care uh, that they needed. Um, and I, I think this is just wrong. Um, and I will work to repeal uh, this exception and give Alabamians the freedom that they need to make their own health care decisions. Um, I think that's an issue that's really on the line here, but there are many, many important issues. And unfortunately, so far, the legislature doesn't seem to be taking up any of them. <laughs> and they're, right. yeah, I've, I've been paying, paying close attention to what's going on down there. It's certainly not where where I would be putting my energy. A absolutely. And and I, I, I've been very concerned with, with some of the stuff that we've, we've been seeing coming out of, of Montgomery. And, you know, uh, you said it's not where you would be putting your in uh, energy. And so I'm, I'm interested in that strategically because going in, you, you would be in the super minority, um, not just in the minority, the super minority. And so how is that going to affect your behavior in office? You know, I, I, as I see it, I think there are kind of like two paths that people could theoretically take. And, and you know, one is, is being something of a kind of behind the scenes politician who's going to, you know, collaborate with Republicans as much as possible, not make them angry, to try to rein them in, to try to get them to, you know, like, OK, look, they're going to pass whatever they're going to pass. But uh, I'm going to do everything I can to just make it not make it as not bad as possible. Right. Um, or do you see yourself going down to Montgomery and like preaching Jeremiah's, you know, really passionately going after Republicans and, and even, you know, the Democrats where they deserve it and presenting an, an alternate vision for Alabama? Which one of those would you see yourself uh, uh, being down in Montgomery? Part of that I can't really answer until I get down there. Mm. Um, I do think that I've got to be building a lot of relationships. And I do think my background makes me uniquely suited. I am a person who listens well. That's part of my training. Uh, I do want to hear uh, about other views and make informed decisions. But I also think um, we need to call folks out. Uh, on the fact that they're not really focusing on the important issues that need our attention right now. I mean, we really have big crises, mm -hmm. big things at stake, and and we're we're often in a lot of nonsense. I think, um, and I do think that uh, we have a great delegation up here in Madison County. I think there are other people. Um, you know, in the supermajority that really do care about some of these same things. 
And I feel like, you know, this is a seat we can take right now. We really ought to be able to win this one. And then in 2026, I think we're going to see a lot more change uh, up here in Madison County, um, Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, maybe even Mobile. So I think that whole trajectory is going to change a lot over the next few years. But I have the things that I am definitely going to be pushing and working and talking with people on both sides of the aisle about uh, sharing stories with people, because I think stories are what really change hearts and minds. Um, and I am optimistic uh, that I'll be able to go down with my collaborative spirit and get to know people and try to understand their perspectives uh, as well as share mine. And I hope to change some hearts and minds. One of the big issues in the state right now is the UAW's campaign to organize the unorganized auto workers. Uh, and Alabama is actually, I think, going to be the single largest state uh, in their campaign with our 50,000 uh, auto workers. Um, and, and, you know, they've seen a lot of success really quickly. Two uh, facilities in the state of Alabama have already hit 30% support, which is, you know, really, really quick. Back in you know, one of those is Mercedes, and, and one of the workers told me that, that last time they've hit 30% before, but the last time they did, it took almost a year to hit 30%, and they've hit that in uh, a month, right? And now they're, they're closing in on 50%. So the campaign is really moving pretty quickly. And the Business Council of Alabama has announced that they're going to be engaging in a full-scale assault on these workers and their attempt to unionize. Um, this is the, the same BCA, and, and the Business Council of Alabama, for folks who, who don't know, is, is basically in the same way that, you know, unions are, uh, you know, organizations of workers, the Business Council is the organization of businesses, right, in the state of Alabama, um, and chambers of commerce and things like this. Um, and the same BCA actually endorsed several Democrats uh, in the last election cycle in 2022. Uh, what is your relationship with the BCA? Um, well, they have not endorsed me. Um, they have endorsed uh, in the 2022 race. They endorsed my opponent, and they've endorsed my opponent again this time. Gotcha. Um, would you, if they were to, if they did endorse you or if they were to endorse you in the future, would that be something, especially considering their recent actions, that you would, uh, that you would refuse? You know, I haven't thought about that. Um, but um, I will say, I think if they, in, well, they won't endorse at this point. Um, but... One of the concerns I have, I think, is that BCA doesn't seem to focus much on small business. And, mm -hmm. and that's been a concern of mine in talking with them. Um, but I, I firmly believe that, that labor has worked hard, uh, long and hard, to be able to um, organize and, and that that's that's something we should be able to exercise in this state. And I have, um, I have a history with labor. It's um, um, my, I have a couple of stories, too. One is um, I was able to work my way through school uh, because I had a job at a grocery store, which was a union job. 
And so I made more money and I had better benefits than my friends. And that showed me right away the power uh, of a union to be able to provide quality jobs. And I also had a grandfather uh, who was a teamster. And I can remember as a child, you know, he would sometimes stop over in Huntsville on his way wherever he was going and park his his big rig not far from our house. And I remember him teaching me how to get, you know, other truckers to blow their horn at me. And so now whenever I pass a, you know, a trucker on the interstate, that always makes me think of my gramps. Um, so I think the, the labor issue really just resonates with me because of my own personal history with it. I would also just note for listeners that uh, you were endorsed in 2022 by the Alabama AFL-CIO. I don't know if they've made an endorsement in this race, but uh, I wouldn't expect it to. They have? Okay, great, great. They have, and the um, machinist and aerospace workers have, as well as our CWA local that you mentioned earlier. I didn't realize that the machinists had. That's that's great. Um so uh, another one of the big issues in the state right now that uh, Republicans are trying to push is, is school choice. What are your thoughts on uh, on that issue of, of, you know, quote unquote, school choice? And, and where would you fall if you were in Montgomery? Well, I, I think I could only support school privatization if uh, I could be assured that it would uh, protect and maintain our public school funding. And I'm concerned about the legislation that's being offered uh, one of the things is that it would virtually eliminate the further reduction to our grocery tax, uh, which is an issue I care about very dearly because um, I feel like, you know, we're one of only a handful of states that tax groceries. And um, that is that is a burden to our families here that um, needs to happen. And the way this is written right now, um, that eliminates it. Um, and I'm a product uh, of public education. My son went to, to public schools here. We're lucky in North Alabama uh, to have such great public schools, but we don't have the same across the state. And I think that if we erode the funding we have, we need to be giving more mm. to the current public school systems, um, not diverting funds from that. It's a complex issue, but we have to we have to put giving every child in Alabama a quality education at the forefront of whatever we do. And I just don't see it happening under the program that's being outlined. But I'm, I'm certainly willing, I love to, I'm a creative problem solver. I love to uh, brainstorm with people and do mind maps. And I think, you know, um, there are maybe some ways that we can look at this and approach this. I know there was some real concern, especially in District 10 where some of our um, unincorporated Madison County residents um, have to go to Madison County um, High School, which is you know an hour and a half, could be even a three hour round trip bus ride for children. Mm -hmm. And I get that there, there are some problems that, that we need to address, um, but I don't think what we're looking at right now does, does enough to ensure that whatever we do to try and fix some of the real problems that there are doesn't affect our current public school funding, which needs to be increased as it is. And we need that grocery tax. We need that grocery tax elimination. 
Um, staying on the subject of, of children across the country, we've seen uh, a bunch of bills to try to loosen child labor regulations. In Indiana, um, Republicans were trying to make it so that children as young as 14 could go back into the coal mines. Um, in Florida, they've got a bill that would allow children to work during school up to six days a week, eight hours a day. Um, whereas previously there were restrictions on how many days in a week, uh, uh, how many days consistently you could work, and you could only work up to four hours in one day during the school year. Um, and in Alabama, what we're seeing, we're seeing uh, a version of that here, and, and that is to uh, Senator Arthur Orr has a bill uh, that would eliminate the requirement for 14- and 15-year-olds to have authorization from their school saying that, you know, yes, um, this child is is, is doing well enough educationally that that they can take on this job uh, after school and, and, you know, we sign off on it. That's the requirement right now for 14- and 15-year-olds, and he wants to get away with that. How would you you react to legislation like that? I don't like the sound of that at all. I mean, um, and I worked at 15. I I started working at 15. But, um, you know, it. yeah, that just sounds like a bad idea all around. Yeah, I mean, yeah, seems to be that way, too. You know, you got to, I mean, because the school's not going to, not going to not authorize a child that's doing well or, or, or even, you know, moderately well academically. Uh, the only people that they wouldn't authorize to work at 14 or 15 is people who are who are failing or consistently making D's. And so, you know, the explicit aim is like, oh, this 14-year-old is failing school. Let him go work. Um, seems bad. <laughs> we need to figure out why that child is failing and give him the resources or the tools there to, to be able to succeed in life. Um, and maybe that's, you know, diverting them into a vocational program. But um, and and then we've got such a problem now too with labor trafficking, um, mm-hmm. and, and that just the, my son has been working on on some of that, and um, it, it's just horrific uh, what's happening, and so many people are not aware of it. Right. Yeah, and that that's really another uh, very important dimension uh, of these child labor bills. You know, the people that are that this is going to be affecting is not going to be, you know. Arthur Orr's children, just to put it bluntly, right? Um, so uh, economic development in the state of Alabama, um, you know, we have been doling out, you know, billions of dollars to corporations with uh, with virtually no strings attached. What would be your approach to, to economic development? Well, first of all, I'd say, you know, North Alabama really excels at economic development. We have a lot to be proud of here. But I think I keep coming back around to the fact that we don't have economic equality for all Alabama's families here. And I think that's what we need to prioritize. Um, you know, I am, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm about growth, of course, but I don't want us to leave people behind, and I'm afraid that's what we're doing so often. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we need to prioritize higher wages and good benefits whenever we hand out tax credits. Um, It's good for quality of life. It's good for everybody. It's, It's fiscally sound, and people who make more pay more in taxes, and they spend more. 
Um, but I, I think we, we really need to be concerned about um, everybody being able to have a living wage, um, not to have to work two and three jobs, um, to be able to have the basic necessities here. And that's why I'm so adamant about eliminating the grocery tax. Um, I think we need to be helping our families here. Um, finally, Medicaid expansion. What are your thoughts yes. on that? Well, Medicaid expansion is long overdue, and all the experts have, and healthcare professionals have been telling us that we needed to do that for years. We are losing billions um, here. We've left money on the table that that we could have for education now. Mm. So, um, I, you know, it's it's time to do that. Um, our rural health care situation is just a mess. Uh, we're losing doctors in this state. Uh, we just we need to do that now. Uh, Marilyn Lands, Democratic nominee for Alabama State House District 10. The election is on March 26th. Where can people learn more? You about say March 26th. Yes. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Where, where can folks uh, learn more about your campaign? So um, our website is marylandlands.com, all one word. It's M-A-R-I-L-Y-N-L-A-N-D-S.com. And again, they can see our district map and find out um, find out if they live there or not. And also um, they can see how I stand on issues across the board and also uh, find out ways they can plug in and, and volunteer and um, come out and knock doors and help us win this thing. All right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Enjoyed being here, Jacob. Yep. Good talking. Marilyn Lands, Alabama State House District 10 Democratic nominee, MarilynLands.com is where you can find out more. Uh, appreciate her time. Um, we are going to go ahead and take our final break and we are going to be right back with boss watch and we're going to be breaking down uh some of the tax system in alabama it's going to be a very very sexy conversation so don't go anywhere folks in alabama more than two hundred thousand of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. 
it. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256 383 3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law. The name with proven results. Come on, you poor workers. only union talk radio program this is the valley labor report my name is jacob morrison my co-host is adam keller we've got a phone number in the line is open 844-899-TVLR it's 844-899-8857 you can call in give us your thoughts about the program uh any questions that you might have particularly as it relates to unions and labor law and such things that's where we're going to be the most likely to have an answer for you you can ask us about anything uh 844-899-TVLR um so uh just a just a teaser really quick before we get into our next segment uh we are going to in the second half of the program which is now going to be we are no longer going to be free from the shackles of the fcc censors in overtime overtime will be broadcast on terrestrial fm radio um but we can still curse we'll just get our we'll, we'll just get our audio guy to uh uh to to edit it out in post so we'll still be we'll still be free while we're live but unfortunately 
there is going to be a censored version lurking out there on the internet. So anyway, um, in the second half of the program, we have uh, Tom Sexton from the Trillbilly Workers Party, a very big podcast um, on uh, uh, that uh, is out of Whitesburg, Kentucky. Actually, the literal exact same town that we are going to be on the radio in. That's where they're from, the Trillbilly Workers Party. Uh, they are uh, some folks from Appalachia who have a left-wing podcast. Uh, very big. So uh, Tom is coming on to celebrate our Kentucky debut. So you don't want to miss that, folks. If you're listening to us on the radio, find us online uh, so that you can hear that. Uh, the Valley Labor Report on Facebook and YouTube is where you're going to be able to hear that chat. So um, Adam, Alabama has a uh, um, we we've got a system of, of taxation that that is you know um, not exactly unique among the South among, among Southern states, uh, but is act, but but is you know taking things to a little bit uh, to, you know, um, even further, let's say, than even some even even our other southern neighbors. Can you talk to us about um, what's going on with, with the system of taxation in Alabama? Sure, yeah. Uh, I want to start with something that was brought up in the last segment with uh, the candidate Marilyn Lands, and she mentioned that uh, the grocery tax, right? Alabama is one of a handful of states that taxes groceries. Uh, last year, there was progress made, and uh, there was actually one cent cut off the pro- the uh, grocery tax. There was supposed to be another cent cut off this year if the Education Trust Fund, which is where this revenue goes, could sustain it. And interestingly enough, the state of Alabama has determined that we cannot afford to cut the grocery tax further this year. However, the same <clears throat> the same folks down there are pushing the school choice, which would drain the education trust fund budget, right? So you can afford to subsidize private schools uh, for affluent families, but you can't afford to cut the grocery tax another penny to help out poor and working class folks in the state. Uh, and that tells you that little example tells you a lot about the way Alabama runs its tax system. Uh, There were a couple of reports that were put out towards the end of last year uh, that I want to just highlight because, uh, you know, I think it's worth mentioning Alabama's taxation system is both highly inadequate and highly regressive, meaning we don't raise enough revenue to provide a decent level of public services the stuff that taxes pay for, right? Schools, roads, other infrastructure, various forms of social welfare, and any any across-the-board areas, uh, Alabama struggles. And so Alabama is inadequate in the amount of revenue it raises. It's also highly regressive in that the taxes that we do raise, while it's not enough to actually fund decent public services, it does disproportionately impact poor and working class folks. So a couple of findings, key findings from uh, a report put out by PARCA, it's the Public Affairs Research Council of Alabama. They look at this stuff every year. In the report they put out uh, at the end of 2023 was looking at fiscal year 2021. But 
here's the highlights. Uh, Alabama collected less in state and local taxes than all but uh, one other state. So we ranked 49th out of 50th. The, only, the one that had less was Alaska, uh, thanks to disruptions in the oil market over that period. Ha, they actually had the lowest per capita revenues in that year. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of a strange case and a unique case. Uh, Alabama's per capita property tax collections are the lowest in the nation. So that does help owners of homes and farms and quote-unquote timberland but it creates a revenue deficit, leaving state and local governments with less to spend to provide government services such as education, health, and public safety. So we have the lowest property taxes, but our state and local sales tax rates are among the highest in the country to offset that. Alabama's income tax does not provide the balancing effect that income taxes in other states do. Low-income workers begin ta paying taxes at a lower threshold than any other state, right? This is Alabama, supposedly home of small government, anti-tax conservatives. But as a worker, your income is getting taxed at a lower threshold here in this state than anywhere else in the country. At the other, at the other end of the spectrum, Alabama is the only state that allows a full deduction for federal income taxes taxes that are paid the fit deduction and that is a tax break that benefits high income earners right the wealthiest folks are who actually get to claim that deduction and benefit from it so over fiscal year 21 the state collected about forty two hundred dollars per resident forty two thirty seven uh which is almost twelve hundred dollars less than the average uh in the country the average per capita total in the southeast was 4556 which is $319 per person higher than Alabama, right? So we have lower revenue per capita per person than even our southeastern neighbors. And this one was really interesting to me. Mississippi collects $204 more per capita than Alabama. And, you know, in Alabama, a lot of folks like to say, thank God for Mississippi, right? Uh, because a lot of times if we're ranked 49th, they're ranked 50th. But you can't say that about per capita revenue. Ryan Hankins from the Public Affairs Research Council of Alabama said, quote, most state and local tax revenue can be grouped into one of three categories, property taxes, sales taxes, and income taxes. Ideally, the state would draw an equal amount from these sources but that is not true in Alabama. Alabama has the country's lowest per capita property tax collections. It starts taxing income higher than every other state, earlier than every other state, I should say, and it has among the highest sales tax rates in the U.S. That means the state's poorest residents shoulder a higher tax burden than their wealthy counterparts. If you look more closely at the data, Alabama collected more taxes per capita on alcoholic beverages and public utilities than most other states, right? So we're not taxing large property owners, and we're giving generous deductions to high-income earners, but we're taxing the hell out of alcohol and public utilities. The state ranked second and fifth, respectively, in those two areas. Right, the second highest taxes on alcohol, the fifth highest taxes per, per capita on public utilities. But again, 
collected the lowest property tax per capita in the country. So, so just really quick before you go go further, you know, you've said we we collect more from sales taxes. We start income taxes earlier. We have the lowest property taxes. Why is it that? Why is it? And and then therefore. Alabama's taxation system is regressive. It hits the lowest income earners uh, first and hardest. Right. Why is it that it is more regressive to collect money from sales taxes than uh, property taxes or income taxes? What is it about about that that makes it regressive? Yeah, it's going to be a higher share of your income, right? So the more poor you are, the more the higher the percentage of your income is going to these taxes, right? And you think about it. If you're a millionaire, the grocery tax is irrelevant to you, right? A, a few pennies on a dollar doesn't really make a, a big difference to you when you check out at the grocery store. Um, but if you make $20,000 a year, that grocery tax really stings. Um, and, you know, the other part of that is, the poorest folks don't own property by and large, right? And often are renters. Um, and so uh, generally speaking, especially these large land holdings, right? We're talking about wealthier folks. And and when we're talking about timberland, there's a whole lot of land that is classified as timberland in the state of Alabama. You know, you can debate whether it really should be or not, but it gets taxed at a very low rate. And so... You know, your grandma who does own a home, their property tax is even stinging them worse than the big landowners. Mm. Um, but yeah, the the sales tax just it is regressive. It punishes you the less you make. Um, and so the fact that we tax groceries, the fact that the taxes themselves are so reliant on sales taxes, um, that is pretty unique to the state. Uh, it's it's a bad recipe because, like I said, you're not raising enough to actually, you know, have a good quality of life, but the taxes are a burden on low-income folks. And so if you hear working-class people in Alabama say that they feel like they're taxed too much, there's truth to that, right? right. Uh, if you hear wealthy people in Alabama say they're taxed too much, they're full of it. Right. Uh, because... Again, they have these deductions. They have uh, the low property taxes. So if you own two, three, four homes, okay, the low property taxes really benefit you. You're not worried about the high sales taxes. Uh, so a few things that uh, I wanted to well, to... and on that on that actually, that made me think that you know if your if you own two or three homes and you're renting and you're a landlord. Not only is your property taxed at a lower rate than you know it would be for than uh, uh, or, or it, your your property is taxed at a lower rate in Alabama than it would be anywhere else in the country, um, but on top of that, if your income is primarily dependent on rent, then it's not actually classified as wage salary income, and it's not subject to the income tax. It's subject to the capital gains tax, which tax which is taxed at a lower rate than the income tax. Right, right. So, I mean, the the system of taxes in Alabama is designed to keep wealthy folks wealthy and poor folks poor. That's the way it is set up. Um, 
you know, it's set up to produce lower tax revenue, which could then be reinvested in public services. It's set up to actually make inequality worse. Um, there was another report put out by ITEP. ITEP put out a tax inequality index, and it measures the effects of each state's tax system on income inequality. And according to this measure, Alabama has the 12th most regressive state and local tax system in the country. Income disparities are larger in Alabama after state and local taxes are collected than before. Mm. Right. So inequality actually gets worse in our state because of our taxes, which is, you know, pretty much the opposite of what the whole idea of progressive taxation was supposed to be. Right. It's to kind of level off inequality. Uh, you know, the more you earn, the more you can pay. Right. So it, it works in the, the reverse effect there. Um, and that is why you see Alabama rank at or near the bottom on any metric of quality of life, right? Because we're not actually investing in our people. We're taxing poor and working folks who can't really afford it, but those who can afford it, the big corporations, the very wealthiest among us, the big large landowners, right they are getting away with minimal taxation so it's a system that is designed to maintain poverty in this state right because they tell us they can't afford to to make investments in people they tell us they can't afford public transportation right they can't afford universal pre-k they can't afford child care supports uh and on and on and on they can't they've claimed they can't afford medicaid expansion Right. They say that they can't afford these things. That's arguable. But to the extent any of that's true, it's because of the way we tax. So tax the wealthy, tax the big property owners, you know, the people who actually have the money. I don't know. Just common sense for me is if you're looking for money, you go where the money is. And for poor and working class people, there's just not that much to give. We're already giving a lot to sales taxes. So, yeah, I do appreciate that uh, that Miss Lands brought that that issue up because the grocery tax, it is highly regressive. We are one of the few states that does it. Uh, it's a shame to tax the necessities of life while you are giving these generous tax breaks to the wealthiest earners and huge subsidies and incentives to big corporations. Right? Why should working class people pay more in taxes? than your boss and your landlord. Right. It just doesn't make sense. And so just to really hammer this home, if you are in the le lowest 20% of earners, you make less than $20,000 a year. Nearly 12% of your income is going to taxes in Alabama. Wow. Whereas if you are in the top 1%, only 5.4% of your income is going to taxes. Right. So the the share of income going to taxes is more than double if you're poor compared to the richest. It just it's a backward system. Um, I, I think that's really wild to me that the top one percent are paying five point four percent of their income towards taxes and the poorest 20 percent are paying eleven point nine percent. 
yeah, so I know I threw a lot of numbers out, out at you, but um, the takeaway is, yeah, the wealthier you are in Alabama, by and large, the system is designed to help you and keep you that way. The poorer you are, the higher percentage of your income is going to taxes, uh, which is a real shame because then you experience as a working class person the decline, the the lack of public services that we would have in other states. I mean, as I say a lot, it is Alabama is probably one of the worst places to be a working class person in the entire developed world. If you just look at healthcare, transportation, infrastructure, education, job quality, job rights, you you name it, freedom, right? Freedom. I mean, it, it's it's really uh, it's a backward system. It's designed for underinvestment. Uh, it's designed to keep people down really and, and keep those on top on top uh and so i really do believe that we we could do much much better there's a, a lot of wealth in this state um but we the people are not benefiting yep it really puts the lie to the um you know to the the conservative uh refrains about freedom and liberty and and small government and low taxation and and, and you know uh if you actually look at the system for what it is, you'll see that, you know, it's all very, very um, convenient for, you know, the people at the top and and not so much for, for everybody else. So uh, there's some there's some food for thought to uh, think about as you are going about your day um, and your week over uh, this legislative session as as. The legislators will no doubt continue to try to find ways to further cut taxes for wealthy people. Every time you hear about a, a tax cut proposal, think about who it's going to benefit. There were there was a, another business tax cut last year, um, and it, it's obviously you know that's not something that's going to benefit working people in the state of Alabama. So any any time you hear anything else about tax cuts, think about that that we collect less taxes than anywhere else in the United States and uh, that then think about who that tax cut is going to benefit. Uh, right. Nine times out of ten, it's going to benefit um, wealthy people. Right. And and I will say that there is currently a tax cut that's being de debated in the legislature that I would agree with, which is to remove the sales tax on uh, diapers, baby formula, feminine hygiene products. Uh, believe it or not, it's Senator Arthur Orr who's sponsoring that bill. I uh, disagree with virtually everything he stands for, uh, typically, but it's a good bill. That's right. a that is that's an example of where you could cut taxes in a way that actually benefits regular working people. Uh, of course, again, you have to think about the revenue impact, right. right? Because this is going to our public schools, and our public schools are not particularly well funded, obviously, given the lack of revenue. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a delicate thing there. Um, but the bottom line is we need a much more fair tax system. I mean, at the very least, we need a much more fair tax system uh, that will lift up poor and working people uh, by taxing the wealthy. Absolutely. Uh, every single week, workers are on the move, and so are bosses. And so we like to take a look at uh, what bosses were up to uh, last week, particularly in light of the fact that every 
evening on the local news, you're going to see the mugshot of some poor soul who uh, stole some chapstick at the local CVS. And uh, you're not going to see a whole lot of mugshots of bosses, despite the fact that theft by bosses, wage theft, things like this, account for more theft than all other property crime combined. They don't like you knowing that. You are just as likely to get uh, killed on the job uh, than you are... Uh, uh, as you are to be murdered, right? And so, uh, you know, folks don't. Despite that, you're not going to see a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of stories about that on the news. You're not going to see mugshots of bosses and people responsible for that, for the theft, uh, the theft and and uh, and killing of working people. So we like to do what we what we can to provide a corrective. And so uh, every week we have a segment called Boss Watch where we do just that. This week we're going to start in Florida, where. A federal investigation into the death of a 39-year-old maintenance employee found that two contractors, uh, that the two contractors responsible for the job site, could have prevented the incident by communicating and following safety rules designed to prevent the unexpected startup of machinery. Investigators with the Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration found that on August 4, 2023, a worker employed by GNR Mineral Services, Incorporated, a Birmingham, Alabama-based maintenance and repair contractor who was hired by HM Southeast Cement, LLC, was performing repairs on a screw conveyor system mounted on top of a cement silo. Despite the equipment being locked out and de-energized, the employer made the decision to remove the locks temporarily and energize the equipment to rotate the screw conveyor shaft to align the equipment for the repair. As a result, the worker was caught in the conveyor and suffered fatal injuries. OSHA cited GNR Mineral for three serious violations for failing to remove employees from areas surrounding unguarded screw conveyors, failing to establish specific uh, procedures for controlling hazardous energy, and failing to inform the host employer of their lockout-tagout procedures. The agency proposed $38,000 in penalties for GNR Mineral. The agency also cited HM Southeast Cement for three serious violations and proposed $43,000 to that employer. OSHA found that the employer failed to establish specific procedures for controlling hazardous energy, perform periodic inspections of the energy control procedures to prevent accidental contact with uh, ingoing nip points and rotating parts, and review and coordinate lockout tagout procedures with its contractor. So totally unnecessary death could have been prevented uh, if you followed the law. Uh, nationwide and across the South, uh, the U.S. Department of Labor uh, does impact inspections on mines. The U.S. Department of Labor announced last week that its Mine Safety and Health Administration completed impact inspections at 16 mines in 11 states in December 2023, issuing 247 violations. The Mine Safety and Health Administration's impact inspection, inspections in 2023 identified a total of 2,739 violations, 
including 764 significant and substantial violations and 56 unwarrantable failure findings. A significant and substantial violation is one that is reasonably likely to cause a reasonably serious injury or illness. Violations designated as unwarrantable failures occur when an inspector finds aggravated conduct that constitutes more than ordinary negligence. The agency conducts impact inspections at mines that merit increased agency attention and enforcement due to poor compliance history, previous accidents, injuries and illnesses, and other compliance concerns. Of the 247 violations that MSHA identified in December, 57 were evaluated as significant and serious, uh, significant and substantial, and three had unwarrantable failure findings. The agency completed these inspections at mines in Alabama, Kentucky, Missouri, Texas, West Virginia, and other states. The Excel Number no. 5 mine, an underground coal mine in Varney, Kentucky, was among the mines MSHA inspected in December. MSHA selected the mine for an impact inspection, inspection based on numerous criteria, including enforcement history and plan compliance and examination issues. The mine is operated by Excel Mining, and the inspection identified 20 violations at this one mine alone including nine significant and substantial violations and two unwarrantable failure findings. So like half of the violations in December came from this one mine. Specifically, MSHA inspectors found the following conditions existing at Excel number five mine. Inadequate workplace examinations. Inadequate examinations have contributed to fatal mine accidents and disabling injuries and were identified as a root cause in several mining fatalities the industry suffered in 2023. MSHA has placed a priority on improving workplace examinations, including the identification, correction, and documentation of hazardous conditions to ensure miners' safety and health. And other serious violations included not adequately supporting roof and ribs and inoperable fire warning devices. Inoperable fire warning device. I mean, that is, and and not ad adequately supporting the roof. Uh, you know, I mean, the anytime you you think of a mine accident, those are you know, the first two things you think of: the mine collapsing and an explosion, fire. Both of those things were going un unaddressed in this mine. Absolutely uh, unacceptable. <clears throat> in Georgia. Covenant Woods Senior Living, LLC, and Bright Space Senior Living, LLC, together Covenant Woods, which operate the Covenant Woods Retirement Community in Columbus, Georgia, violated federal law when they fired a 78-year-old employee from her position as a receptionist because of her age and disability. The U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission charged in a lawsuit filed last week. According to the lawsuit, the receptionist, who was recognized as one of Covenant Woods' employees of the year in January of 2022, was employed by the company for over 14 years until her sudden termination in February of 2022. In that month, the receptionist was briefly hospitalized. Upon her release from the hospital, the receptionist was asked by Covenant Woods general manager how long she planned to continue to work, whether she needed to work, and whether she would like to spend her time traveling and seeing family instead of working. 
Despite the receptionist's insistence that she intended to continue working, and despite having never previously raised any substantial performance concerns to the receptionist, the general manager told the receptionist that Covenant Woods no longer had confidence in her ability to work, citing her recent hospitalization. The company fired her the next day and replaced her with significantly younger employees. Super blatant stuff there. I mean, uh, employee of the year, one month, and then fired the next month? That's absolutely, right. that's bonkers. Looney Tunes. <clears throat> Had a couple of dishonorable mentions. Uh, investigators with the U.S. Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division found Old Jose Grill and Cantina stole from their workers when the employer improperly paid tipped employees time and one-half their cash wage for hours over 40 in a work week, instead of time and a half the applicable minimum wage. Additionally, the employer misclassified one tipped employee as an independent contractor, paid kitchen staff a flat rate for all hours worked with no overtime premium, and failed to keep hours worked records for the -the back-of-the-house kitchen employees. The Department of Labor recovered $167,000 in back wages and damages to 17 employees. The U.S. Department of Labor recovered $460,000 in back wages and damages after federal investigators found uh, Guanajuato Supermarket in Houston, Texas, failed to pay 104 workers overtime wages. I mean, half a million dollars stole from these workers. All you got to do is pay it back. And yet you're going to see, you know, you look on the news next week, and you're probably going to see some somebody, uh, somebody who stole uh, petty theft from a CVS. You're going to see their mugshot on the news. But not those bosses that stole a half a million dollars from their workers. It's absolutely, you know, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. We've got a few minutes here before we wrap up the first half of the show. 844-899-TVLR is the phone number. 844-899-8857. If you want to call in, uh, you can uh, call the show there. Or if you're listening to us after we we, uh, go off the air, you can still leave us a voicemail throughout the week, and we might respond to it on the next program. Um. Adam, what else is going on in Alabama that we should talk about right now? Well, uh, in the legislative session, they had their second week, and so there's a lot going through. We mentioned it earlier. There is a child labor bill, uh, which is being sponsored by Representative Dubos in the House and Senator Arthur Orr in the Senate. And uh, what this would do is take away the certification to work forms that the schools fill out for 14 and 15 year olds. Um, Very concerned about that. Uh, I really don't think that 14 and 15 year olds, I don't think we need more 14 and 15 year olds in the workforce. And they're claiming this is gonna remove barriers to the workforce. Um, You know, that's pretty wild to me. Uh, And let's be real about it, this is, this is a concerted effort happening in state after state, backed by billionaire money. Uh, and this is a reaction to a very tight labor market. Workers have some more leverage now than we did a few years back because of this tight labor market. Uh, and so their solution is, well, let's just flood the market with more children. 
Uh, so, you know, very concerned about that bill. It did pass out of Senate committee this past week. So if you are an Alabama listener and you are also concerned, might want to reach out to your state senator this week. Uh, really, really recommend that. Um, also want to, to mention there's a couple other things going on. Uh, libraries are under attack and the Department of Archives are under attack. Um, very unfortunate to see that happening. Um, there's efforts to change the law such that librarians could actually be arrested, um, you know, if they were deemed to be committing, you know, obscene acts uh, based on, you know, I guess woke books uh, is what they're talking about. It's very, very disturbing uh, to see this, these attacks on freedom of information, freedom of expression, education, learning and knowledge. Um, the Department of Archives is under attack because they held a gay history exhibit. It was just a, a history exhibit about gay Alabamians. Mm. And they are being accused of like, you know, uh, obscenities, basically. Uh, it's very gross, right? It's just sexualizing people's very identity, right? Just because something is a gay history exhibit doesn't mean there's anything uh, sexual about it. It's just talking about, hey, these Alabamians made a difference in, in our state's history. Uh, let's look at it. Let's talk about it. Um, it's that very really disturbing. Is the, that, that really is one of the more, you know, revealing culture war uh, um battles that's being fought right now in Alabama because the whole thing about the Alabama Department of Archives and History um, is uh, I mean, if you actually look at the presentation that was given that, that elicited this reaction it, there was not any it, it, it was not uh, being gay is great more people should be gay more people should be trans here's how we can trans the kids it was it was right. just Hey, these were Alabamians who were queer, and here's some of the impact that they had on the state's history. And the and, and the same person attacking the Alabama Department of Archives and History for this event that was not funded by any tax dollars at all. Um, the same people attacking it are the very ones who would defend Confederate monuments. Uh, staying up in public places, obviously reverentially, saying that, oh, we can't, you know, um, and, 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 uh, and as they defend it, they're not going to actually do what they want to do or what they think their base wants them to do, which is defend the Confederacy. They're going to say, oh, it was, you know, a dark time in our history and we need to, you know, we can't erase history. We have to learn from it, right? right. We have to, right. And, and so therefore we have to have reverential statues in public you know it doesn't even make any sense if you think about it for more than two seconds uh if you if you believe them if you take them at face value that it's just about you know history and it's not about uh reverence for a uh revanchist reactionary racist uh you know <laughs> uh attempt at overthrowing the american government uh but if you take them at their word that it's just about history the argument falls apart in two seconds um but 
if we want to take them at their history and say, like, these people are just, you know, uh, 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 totally uh, neutrally concerned about learning the history of the state of Alabama and we have to learn the good, the bad and the ugly uh, and we shouldn't have, you know, moral uh, limits on what can and can't be learned. I mean, all of that I agree with. I think we should learn the good, the bad, and the ugly of Alabama's history. And I think we should learn about the history of the Confederacy. And I don't think it should be sugar-coated. Um, and, it, and I don't think that it has to be, uh, uh, you know, hy- hyperbolized, right? I think, it's, I think we should just learn about it. Um, if they actually believe that, obviously a relevant facet of Alabama's history is the contribution of queer Alabamians who existed in a time, I mean, really, you know, queer Alabamians, LGBT Alabamians before, you know, the 2010s were living in a society that uh, was violently, I mean, actually physically violently antagonistic to their existence. And so, uh, you know, learning about their contributions to Alabama is absolutely something that uh, should be done. Something that should be done if you just care about history and you're not, uh, you know, concerned about creating a, a mythologized past and, you know, shielding people from parts of our history. Anyway, it's just that's absolutely bizarre to me that there are people that, that go out there and make this argument. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Um, and, and there's some other things happening down there in Montgomery. Uh, you know, as we're wrapping up, the gambling bill did pass the house so keep your eyes peeled on that to see what happens there uh but yeah lots of culture war nasty stuff happening down in montgomery uh so folks need to be engaged folks need to be paying attention folks need to be blowing up their legislators inboxes i should say uh <laughs> don't blow them up just blow up their inbox via email <laughs> and phone calls and text messages uh see them in person if you can talk to them uh, we got to put pressure on these folks to try to, you know, destroy some bad bills and, and push some positive bills through. You got some uh, plugs for us the last 90 seconds here? Yeah. Uh, labornotes.org slash events. Check out their virtual trainings as well as the Labor Notes conference coming up in April. Uh, our friends at Indoor Air Care Advocates released a new video on their YouTube channel. Uh, recommend folks check that out. You can go to iaqadvocates.org slash demand clean air to learn more about why we need clean air and how you can help. Uh, the Poor People's Campaign is holding a march and a rally in Montgomery on March 2nd, that Saturday. Uh, and the very next day in Selma uh, will be the Selma Jubilee anniversary, and uh, there will be a big march and rally there as well. Uh, and so Southern Workers Assembly is hosting a virtual discussion called Operation Dixie Lessons for Southern Workers on Thursday, February 29th at 6 p.m. Central. Go to southernworker.org to register and learn more. Uh, AFL-CIO is holding an organizing institute in Birmingham this April 17th through 19th. Uh, definitely check that out if you're interested in learning more about organizing and organizing in the workplace specifically. Uh, Alabama Rise is hosting its annual legislative day on April 2nd. Uh, go to alarise.org if you want to learn more. And uh, that's all I got for you. See you in the second half of the show. Which side are you?